Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, who will be the next president of the United States? Do we know yet? Where has the center gone in politics? Diane Francis weighs in on that. And Jerry Diaz, Unifor National President, has got them building trucks again in Oshawa. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Mike Armstrong, Global News uh, Quebec correspondent, who is currently in the United States with Global News. Make sure you're watching Global tonight at 5.30 and 6 for more on all of this. Mike, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. Always a pleasure. Yeah, not too bad. So what is the buzz down there now? You know, I'm thinking of uh, just the waves this is creating up here and around the world. What's it like to be down there in the midst of it all? Yeah, you know, everybody you stop on the street sort of talks about the anxiety and the pins and needles and things like that the last couple of days. And then you have at the convention center where the counting's going on, you've got these protests outside, uh, sort of almost uh, dueling protests, if I can put it that way. You had on one side of the street yesterday, uh, count every ballot protesters. On the other side, Trump protesters. I went there down there last night and it was almost a party atmosphere. Mostly they count every ballot uh, crowd and about five or six uh, Trump protesters. But then, you know, all that nervousness, all that anxiety, this city also woke up this morning to what might have been a uh, thwarted attack on the convention center. Uh, two men were taken into custody by police outside the convention center last night at about uh, 10 p.m. Uh, police were tipped off, apparently, tipped off by someone, they're not saying who, um, that there were individuals from out of state driving to Philadelphia in a silver Hummer, Uh, possibly armed, and that they intended to do something at the convention center um, where the counting is underway. Uh, Now, because it was the arrest was made there outside the building, there was lots of media. So there are images of the arrest, uh, one of the men in handcuffs, and there are also images of the vehicle that they were in. And you can see the QAnon sticker in there, Um, you know, that group that promotes all sorts of conspiracy theories. We don't have to go into them, but enough to say that they appear to have been some sort of supporters of QAnon. Where is the rest of the Republican Party on this, Mike? At what point do they realize what is happening and try to do something to defuse all of this? At what point does the Republican Party jettison themselves uh, from the president? Well, one person who spoke up this morning was Pat Toomey, senator here in Pennsylvania, uh, who said, look, I supported the president. Uh, I understand that if there are grievances, complaints about how the counting process is going on, that those should be listened to. That said, he made it very clear he has not seen any proof of anything system, systemic, any sort of uh, widespread fraud of, in, of any kind, and that um, sort of the inflammatory speech coming out of the White House uh, should be toned down. Um, that's to put it mildly. That said, we've also got uh, some pretty prominent Republicans like Lindsey Graham, who's going all in and saying hey, he's sticking with the president, he's going to fight with him. And I'll tell you... Uh, you might want to avoid Fox News if you don't want to. Anyway, Fox News at night with their primetime hosts. Last night, it was one host after another asking, should the results be invalidated? Uh, should there be a redo of this election? Should the Electoral College voters who are chosen by their different states uh, vote the way their states tell them to? Or should they vote on their own conscience? All sorts of things like that. So uh, there was at one point on CNN this morning, Jake Tapper was suggesting that perhaps the Murdochs should uh, put their country ahead of profits and make wow. rain in their hosts. Yeah, you don't see that very often. 
Um, that being said, you know, as as uh, former Vice President Biden has said, uh, there are checks and balances in place. It is only a matter of time before this plays out. At the end of the day, with the exception of the mail-in ballots, which, by the way, they've been doing forever. It's just there's a lot of them this year because of uh, a global pandemic and such. Uh, do, do Americans have any faith that this will just run its course and, and that will be that? Or... Um, what is that final shoe to drop? Yeah, great question. I mean, it's funny because one of the problems here is that the president has been pointing the finger and saying bad things happen in Philadelphia, bad things happen in Philadelphia. And now because of he's basically now he's pointing and saying, see, I told you there would be bad things. And one of the things they're pointing at is they're saying that their observers in the, of the counting process are being kept too far back, and they can't really see what's going on with the scanning machines, uh, and it's gone to court and all things like that. But these are legal ballots. These were ballots cast under the rules that were in place, being counted the way they're supposed to be counted. Some are probably being thrown out and all that. This is a legitimate process. Um, The one thing that has complicated things here in Pennsylvania is while they did have early voting before, mail-in balloting before in other elections. This time it's about 10 times bigger because they right. added in, they brought in a new system where, where they have no excuse uh, early voting now. So you, before you had to sort of explain why and give a reason why you were voting early. Now you didn't. So you just requested a ballot, you got it, and you could vote early. Uh, so they've gone from, I think, under 300,000 to like 2.5, 2.6 million. So that is that is a huge change. Now, one of the things critics are pointing on they're saying oh look the rules were changed because of covid blah 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 blah. that's not what happened this new mail-in balloting system was brought in in october october of last year there was a whole process that they went through to to decide on this as a matter of fact there was sort of a a give and take in the legislature between the republicans and the democrats the republicans uh uh, anyway so it is a the change was made well before covid19 it has nothing to do with that Um, so to point out that is completely unfair so bring us up to date, Mike. Where are we now with the results? Uh, what can we hope to find moving forward? Well, if I stick to Pennsylvania, uh, a state that Donald Trump absolutely has to win, excuse me, absolutely has to win, and a state that uh, at this point it doesn't look like Joe Biden absolutely needs, but would obviously like, uh, and it could put him over three hundred electoral college votes. Um, basically, we woke up this morning with Donald Trump up by eighteen thousand votes. That flipped at about. To 850 this morning, and he was down by 5,500, and now he's down by more than 9,000. So that has continued to go. Uh, if I look at the state's website, they still have 124,000 mail-in ballots to count, and as they count them, they, those are coming back 60, 70, 80 percent for Joe Biden. That's going to seem strange if you haven't been following what's going on. It is completely normal. It was predicted. The Democrats and Joe Biden spent months telling their voters to get out there, vote early, do it. This is a phenomenon that's been going on actually in the states for about a decade. Uh, It's been studied by political scientists. The Democrats were early adopters of mail-in and early voting that the Republicans have not. As a matter of fact, Donald Trump basically doubled down on that and told his supporters, don't vote early. Vote on Election Day. If you vote early, that's a corrupt system. Even last night, he talked about, yeah. it was a little strange, but last night he talked about it's a corrupt 
thing. It corrupts people. Even if you're not a corrupt person, if you vote that way, you can be corrupted. It was a little strange. But anyway, all that to say, when these ballots are being checked, they're coming back in, in great numbers, a high percentage uh, for Joe Biden. That was expected. It's called the blue shift. Political scientists, pollsters, everybody knew this was coming. Unbelievable to watch unfold. Mike Armstrong has been with us. He's in Pennsylvania and, of course, a correspondent with Global News. And we'll find out more tonight, 530 and 6 from Mike. Mike, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Good luck. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. As uh, as uh, more information comes in, we will certainly uh, uh, pass that along. But as it stands right now, Biden leads in Pennsylvania and Georgia, and uh, that would give the uh, Democrats uh, the Democrats the White House if, uh, in fact, that uh, Pennsylvania uh, Pennsylvania win does come. It's funny. Uh, we've talked at, at length about how divisive the politics is in the United States, and are we that far behind in Canada? I, I've talked at length with many poli-sci professors or, or politicians, for that matter, uh, usually prior to an election, and, and talk about how the solution, how the victory is in the center, yet we seem to be going farther and farther and farther to each side of this discussion. Uh, let's bring in Diane Francis, award-winning columnist, best-selling author, investigative journalist, and editor-at-large at Canada's National Post, and is with us now the current column in the Financial Post, Diane Francis, the American Center must lead the way. Diane, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. Uh, I'm, before we- I'm totally enjoying this. I'm a complete political nerd, and uh, you know, I've been a, a, a fan and an observer of the American election uh, stuff. Going back to the age of 13, I want to show you how old I am, but I've done 15 of these presidential cycles. So this is really not very new, although to young people, this may be, oh, it's so polarizing and so on. I think this is a great outcome. So why is this not new? Because, again, many are saying, my goodness, it, you know, this reminds me of the Shrek, uh, Shrek movie when all the village people show up with pitchforks and torches and such. Um, you know, uh, give us an example of that in the past where it has been this unstable. Well, when student protesters against the Vietnam War. There were protests yeah. and violent clashes with gay rights and women's rights and civil rights movements. There were uh, people that I, I knew indirectly who went down to help black people get registered to vote in the 60s, and they were murdered by the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, this is, this is a very difficult country <laughs> to, to control and manage. All the regions are very different. I mean, if you look at the United States, there's probably 20 different countries in yeah. there. It's sort of like a European Union with guns. And so, you know, and, and <laughs> but there's racism in, in the European Union as well. So, so I think that the way I see this, is, and, and I, I take it, so I heard this odd perspective on it. And, and that is basically, yes, they're polarized. Yes, they always have been. Yes, they're aggressively, you know, competitive with each other. But so what? The worst thing that could have happened was that Biden would have won the landslide that a lot of them thought. And and if he'd won a landslide, it would have been, you know, even worse. Because when you win a landslide in a country that polarized, and you, it goes to your head and you think you've got a mandate to do anything you want to do and you can't do that so what we've got is a very good situation he's got a very radical left-wing 
branch of the Democratic Party. He cannot cater to them. He cannot listen to them. He can listen to them, but he has to lead from the middle or else he can't hold power. Two years from now, there's another bunch of elections. Same with if it had gone the other way. If Trump had done a blowout and gotten a lot of votes and so on, he's very, he would have gone even more extreme right wing. Not going to work. So they always get brought back by the nature of their, con- I mean, they constantly have elections every two years. So, so that's really what this is. I think it's a good outcome. It's actually a mirror image of 2016. As it turns out right now, where you have cliffhangers, very thin margins. I mean, Trump won the presidency by, what, 150,000 votes in three states. That was it. But the difference is he didn't win the popular vote. With Biden, he will probably not only win the razor-thin margins to become president, but we he will have blown him out on the popular vote. He's nearing five million more. Hillary Clinton got four. Are you surprised this and was as? I, I'm sorry, you cut out there. I'm sorry, you cut out there, Diane. Biden, Keep going. Biden is approaching a five million uh, more popular vote support. Hillary Hillary had four million more than Trump and lost the election to thin margins. Biden's going to win the election with thin margins, but morally, he has more credibility because he's getting five million more votes popular. Are you surprised it wasn't a larger margin? Are you surprised that it was so close? Did the did the Democrats underperform here? Well, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not in the polling business. I don't commission polls, and polls are extremely politicized. You know, I was, I ran a newspaper in Canada, the Financial Post, for about twelve years as the editor. I commission polls and all of that. How the what the question is that's asked. Who the sampling is that's asked the questions? What time of day they're called? Is it on a cell phone or is it on a landline? Is it done by email? I'm telling you, you can skew the results of an election of a poll for political purposes anyway by Sunday. And they both sides do that. You argue, but you know, Trump was moaning. He said, well, the polls didn't turn out to be true. They said that Biden would get a landslide. That was bad for us. That's voter suppression. Well, I would say that's quite the opposite. It's not voter suppression. If you think you're you're way ahead, you're not going to vote. So actually, he's wrong. Um, You know, if you think the other side is way ahead, you're going to get more votes out. So, you know, I think that the whole thing is crazy. And, of course, we're dealing with an unstable sociopathic individual who's in the White House. And I think the most important thing is he's going to be out. And that changes the tone of the conversation and the confrontation south of the border. And they need that. I mean, I'm exhausted with Trump. I'm exhausted. You have to wonder if that's what happened here to Americans, just tired, fatigued, much like the pandemic of hearing from their president every single day. Uh, you know, eventually, that has to take its uh, take its toll. How do the Republicans come back from this? At what point do they jettison Donald Trump? Well, they have to get a new. If he loses, and you know, he's. I, it looks like he's going to lose. I hope he does. Uh, if he loses, there's a lot of very credible Republicans. And again, they're going to have to do what I'm saying in my column. Biden is going to have to do. He can't listen to his radicals. He's got to govern from the center. That's how you do it in the U.S. There's so many fringes on both sides. The 
You have to govern from the center to get enough of a mandate and to get anything done. You have to compromise. You have to get along. Similarly, you get a Romney. You get a Romney. I'm not sure he would want to run. You know, he's already run and, and lost. But you get a Romney who's a moderate Republican. Ben Sass from Nebraska, very credible guy. They have some good people. And so they're going to have to, to pick a good person who who isn't going to be ultra-right-wing like Trump. He's going to be more moderate. We have talked about oh, this. She, on, she excuse yeah, me. Yeah, there you go. We have talked about this at length on this show through Canadian elections, asking where the center has gone. We constantly go back and forth, back and forth, liberal, uh, liberal conservative, uh, conservative liberal, vice versa, same Republicans, Democrats, what have you. But it seems lately, in the last 10 years ago, politics has been become really polarized. The left has gone farther left. The right has gone farther right. What has happened to the center? Where has it gone? Well, I think the center is the center. Let's call it, call it the equilibrium. I guess that's an engineering term. You're trying to find the place where there's as much on one side as the other so everybody's not happy <laughs> equally. And that's what you want to do. You want to establish that in policy. The problem with the Canadian system, the parliamentary system, which I think has benefits over the American presidential system on balance, but I think it also has problems. And I'm a dual citizen, so I follow both. I'm a nerd on both sides of the border is you got to understand, as you do, that the leader of the party is running to be head of state in our system. And when the party does well, then he automatically becomes prime minister. We have a situation now with a prime minister. And by the way, we have never, since Brian Mulroney had a prime minister in this country who got 50% of the popular vote, okay? Mm-hmm. His, he did, his party. Nobody... We elect people, we have people running our lives that have less than 34% of the popular vote, which means two out of every, you know, um, twice as many voters didn't vote for our prime minister, the current one, as did. And yet they can run and they can operate if they make a deal with another party, which he's done, and they can, they can operate like a, a little mini dictator. And that's a real problem in the parliamentary system the only good thing about it is we have a shock absorber it's called the non-confidence vote so if they get too ridiculous we can call another election and see if we can get a better outcome you know depending on your point of view but it's it's the, the comparison between the countries i think is absolutely fascinating and i think canada is a better governed uh country as a result but it also was a colony and everybody is very compliant and we believe in our governments and we were Colonials, you know, the Brits did a pretty good job. Down there, they don't like government. They don't want a lot of government in their lives. But there's a couple of really interesting, bright points in the U.S. election. We don't have it as often here. They put referendum questions on their ballots. And, you know, there's some fascinating results in this election. You know, you take a red right-wing state, rednecky state like Florida, and yet they passed 60% 60% on the ballot, all the voters, Republican and Democrat and Independent, passed doubling the minimum wage. Hmm. That's income. That's, that's addressing the income disparity problem, American style. Well, again, there, there brings us back to the center, physically conservative, socially liberal, or socially liberal, fiscally conservative, whatever way you want to put it. I mean, that's the middle speaking, is it not? It is the middle speaking. And, and it was as many Democrats and Republicans who combined and thought this is only fair because poor people don't make enough. 
how can you raise a family on $7 an hour working at McDonald's? You can't. So they wanted up to 15. That's a heck of a leap. And that's terrific for the underclass, if I want to put it that way. So enough people thought of this. And, and the ballot proposition cost $5 million of lobbying and so on to get on the ballot. And it was pushed forward by an Orlando millionaire. Billionaire, And he said, it's not right that poor people aren't paid so well. And he was probably a Bernie Sanders supporter, but he may also be a Republican. So what I'm saying is you've got to be careful. And I think it's about issues instead of labels. And I think that's important. So uh, that being said, uh, I thought this election in the United States, but then again, different psyche down there, would be less about the policy, more about the personality. Uh, somebody who wants to unite versus somebody that's very divisive. How does that play into all of this? Will we ever see America come together? Will they ever unite the United States? No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's an it's a, uh, adversarial political system. Ours is a system... That's based on consensus and collaboration. In other words, you have a party, and the guy who leads the party who wants to become prime minister has to be able to get along with everybody in his party, which means he has to get along with different regions and different left and right wing. In the U.S., it's all adversarial. Everybody wants to be governor. Everybody wants to be mayor. Everybody wants to be the president. So, so it's a lot more competitive, a lot more random and crazy. I think what we saw was a huge rejection of Donald Trump. Yes, he got more votes than any Republican has ever gotten running for president in the history of the United States. But that's because the voter turnout zoomed up 15 percent. More Americans voted in this election than have ever voted in history. This was a huge turnout. Biden, on the other hand, got five million, probably maybe five or six, it'll end up five or six million more votes of the popular vote than Trump. And that is a rejection of Donald Trump, period. So how do you see this playing out once these votes are finally tallied? I mean, obviously, it's still going to take uh, weeks for everything to be to be counted. But once it becomes obvious who the winner is and we're expecting Biden at this point, uh, what happens then? What happens next? How, how, how do how do Americans get themselves to January? Well, that's a concern, the lame duck and so on. But, you know, on the other hand, if, uh, the Republicans are in a bit of a quandary. They elected this loose cannon. Uh, he's, he's, you know, uh, helped them get some of the issues they wanted, like tax cuts and so on. But, you know, now that he's he's going to lose, they're all going to leave him, but they're not going to publicly, you know, be appear disloyal because many of them want to replace him as a leader. So you have to be a team player and so on. So what you're going to see is Trump is going to be uh, behave like the three-year-old narcissistic sociopath he is, and he's going to be ungracious. He's not going to give a concession speech if he loses. He's not going to help the transition team. He's not even going to meet with the transition team, which is what you should do in the lame duck. He's going to have to consult indirectly if he does anything as the lame duck president with the transition team, but there'll be no love lost. He probably won't even go to the inauguration. That's, that's his style. I mean, he's an awful human being. And so, you know, that's what's going to happen. But you know what? They'll plod through it. And at some point, if he becomes too uh, obstreperous and too damaging or tries to veer off in some crazy direction, I've got to believe that the senior people in the Republican Party, including Mitch McConnell, will do what they did with Nixon and get a little office to, uh, meeting together in the Oval Office and say, 
you got to stop it. Stop it. Do you think the Supreme Court will play a role in this, Diane? I don't see how they can play a role in this because the state governments control the electoral process. So he's suing all these different states where he lost. He's not suing the states he won, but he's suing all the states he lost. He thinks he's going to lose. And he's got to prove in a court to a judge that he has the evidence to prove that he was robbed of a victory in that state. And those states are are taking their time because everybody's known to expect this. He's very litigious. He's been this way all his life. Then they would then be appealed to an appeal court. And that appeal court would have to be uh, happy with evidence proving that, you know, he he had the, the that particular election uh, stolen from him. And then if they agreed, then they can appeal for leave to appeal to the Supreme Court. So it's it's three courts away. He can't just go and call up his little, you know, three people he nominated the court and yeah. say, hey, come on, I want this done. This is not a kangaroo court. This is based on rules and regs and laws. So, you know, he's a very lawless guy. So, of course, he thinks he can do this. Diane so Francis. Process, so that could take all the way up to January 20th. Diane Francis has been with us. The article in the Financial Post, the American Center must lead the way this week. Americans refuse to handle uh, hand a landslide to anyone, and that's a good outcome. Diane, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Always been a big fan, and uh, it's just flattered you took the time to join us. Thanks so much. Anytime. Be well. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We have Jerry Diaz on the phone with us now, Unifor National President. In case you hadn't heard, some incredible news coming out of Oshawa. GM Canada says it's going to bring back pickup truck assembly to the Oshawa plant after everyone thought it was uh, over for the Oshawa operation. Jerry Diaz is with us now. Jerry, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. I'm keeping incredibly well today. Let's put it that way. Uh, Jerry, first of all, congratulations. This is a major, major uh, feat for for you and and your union, especially after what has happened with uh, Ford in Oakville. First question is, Jerry, when when this all went down way back when, everybody thought that was it. What happened? Why now? Well, uh, it it turned out to be the stars lining up just the way they should have. Um, You've got a combination of you know, frankly, GM or our union never did give up, to be honest with you. The door never did completely close. Uh, the deal we did in May of 2019 uh, transitioned the plant. But the, the key piece is that we maintain the integrity of the plant, including, of course, the ability to rebuild vehicles. So with the pandemic, uh, the unexpected piece of this is that you know, people have zero interest today in hopping on buses, uh, passenger rail. People aren't using Uber or Lyft. People are buying vehicles. And, uh, and, and so the showrooms today are probably sitting at about 40 to 50% of the inventory uh, that the automakers would feel comfortable. So uh, GM needed Silverados. They need Sierras. And, you know, sprawling Oshawa con- uh, complex was there uh, ready to move. So, it, uh, you know, the timing of our contract negotiations were perfect. And like I said, I've, I've been talking to GM about some sort of a solution for the better part of the year. So the timing is everything and the timing worked out perfect for us. 
Speaking of timing, what about the Donald Trump factor here? We certainly know uh, how he handles companies who are moving to other countries or, or having production in other com- uh, countries, certainly like uh, the auto industry, certainly no different there. Um, it, it looks like he's on his way to losing the presidency at this point. Is the timing of this uh, just, just a, a sheer coincidence? What does this have to do with what's happening in the United States? Not sheer coincidence. The, the contracts expired uh, with the Detroit 3 in September. Uh, so I did the Ford deal first, uh, Fiat Chrysler second, and GM third. So the, uh, so the timing had nothing to do with the, uh, with the election. But, but frankly, in the beginning, they were all nervous about Trump. They were nervous about the Trump factor, him yelling and screaming. But, it's, it, but four years have gone by, and I'm, I don't think he's scaring anybody anymore. I think that intimidation factor is, has really dried up. He's almost like the emperor now with no clothes. So the auto companies aren't going to make bad business decisions just to appease them. The reality is it's about $20 U.S. an hour cheaper to build a vehicle in Canada than in the United States. Um, you know, this Canada is a huge market for the Detroit 3. Uh, General Motors used to be number one in sales in Canada and then, of course, slipped um, after their announcement in 2018. So it's really about riding the ship. Um, it's about, you know, making a good business decision. And, of course, we're thrilled about what it does for the community of Oshawa. So what about government involvement here, uh, Jerry? Obviously, with the Oakville decision, a lot uh, riding on that between all levels of government. Same sort of thing here? Well, I would expect so. Um, I'm not sure that GM has had any conversations yet with the government, but I know the governments are certainly prepared to play a role. They, they're thinking about the economy post-pandemic. Um, the auto industry is a $100 billion a year industry, and governments get involved with the auto industry because the payback is immediate and it's significant, and it's significant for the long term. It really is equivalent, Scott, to you giving me $10 and me giving you a, a $100 a year for the next 10 years. The payback is that excessive. So uh, they will play a role. Um, I've been speaking to the premier. I've spoke to the minister of finance. I've been speaking to the federal politicians. This is a $100 billion a year industry. They know it. They want to keep it. And frankly, they want to expand it. Uh, last question, Jerry. You talked about how things had changed and what things are like in a post-COVID-19 world. What do you think that's going to do for everyone's psyche and, and just whether it's buying Canadian, buying American, loving things that are, that are, that are constructed and manufacturing here? Has, will we look at things differently after this is all over, post-pandemic? There's no question. I mean, the pandemic has really brought us together as a nation, I will argue. Uh, what's happening in Canada within our mindset, our commitment to each other is much different than what's going on in the United States. But one thing that the pandemic showed us is how ill-prepared we were as a nation to take care of ourselves. Uh, we didn't even have the most basic personal protective equipment uh, to keep Canadians uh, safe. Our frontline workers lacked the most basic um, equipment. So we learned how unprepared we were, and we've made commitments, I would expect, to each other that that'll never happen again, and that's really going to involve a buy-Canadian strategy, build here, buy here. So I think the mindsets of Canadian consumers and governments have changed as a result of what we've all been through. So when will we see trucks rolling off the line in GM Oshawa? Well, I hope to be sitting in the first one that rolls off the assembly line in January of 2022. 
<laughs> well, you deserve that ride. Uh, Jerry Diaz has been with us, Uniform National President. Great news for Oshawa and all of Canada. Uh, GM back in business in Oshawa and uh, bringing uh, trucks to life uh, in that great community. Jerry, again, congratulations. Well earned and uh, good luck with all of this moving forward. Thank you so much, Scott. Have a fabulous day. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.